it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Good evening and welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. I know David and I are a tad late to the party, but we started watching the show Shit's Creek on Netflix. Last night, I watched an episode where an adult 20-something, Alexis, decided to go back to school to complete her senior year in high school. She was accused of plagiarizing a paper because, unbeknownst to her, her father revised her paper in an attempt to help her. It made me think about yesterday when I was helping my son DJ write 300 words about figurative language in an Edgar Allan Poe, po, po, Edgar Allan Poe poem about a man madly in love with a woman. He's a seventh grade boy, so you can imagine how that was going. He had very little idea what figurative language was, let alone how to describe the author's use of it in 300 words. So I worked with him. But having prepared for the show, I truly wondered if I was overstepping my boundaries. You see, it's hard to let your kid turn in bad work. It's hard to walk the line between helping them and letting them learn and do it on their own. I was struggling with my need for perfection, a little bit of ego, and my desire for him to learn how to do this well himself. I'm sure many parents out there, especially now that so many kids are learning virtually, have wondered the same thing. How do we assist them and at the same time give them wings? Today, I've invited our guest who is a mom and an educator and an author to talk about building independence and self-advocacy in our kids. But before we go any further, let me just say, it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or a nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and hashtag I Am School Days. And also, if you want to be a part of the show, if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 444-444-5575. Or if you're live with us on Facebook, you can drop us a question there. So let's jump right in and introduce our guest. Today's KidCaster is my own seventh grader, DJ Bailey from Mansfield, Texas. Jody Marucci has been a health educator for 25 years and has recently started sharing her experiences and insights in her writings. Jody has a master's degree in education as well as certifications in the health and fitness industry. She is passionate about teaching children the importance of being confident, independent, creative problem solvers. When she is not teaching or writing, you can usually find her with her husband, daughter, and dogs doing something active. Welcome to school days, Mrs. Marici. Hi, Jody. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank Hi, you. thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Sure. Well, let's just go ahead and jump right in. First, I want to know, what is self-advocacy? That's a really good question. And that's something that I focus on constantly with my students from the very first day I meet them. 
Self-advocacy is the ability for them to speak for themselves, to express their emotions, their feelings, their desires, their frustrations. It's for them to feel confident in their own voice. And that's really what self-advocacy is, what I'm encouraging in my kids. Mm -hmm. And why did you decide that this was something that you wanted to incorporate into your classroom? About three years ago, I was teaching a group of seventh graders that were the most anxious students I had ever met in my whole career. And I started to wonder why they were so afraid to speak up, to ask questions, to fail. And that's when I started to really speak to these kids and say, well, why, why are you afraid? Why can't you ask me? And they were so afraid of rejection, failure, not getting the answer that they were happy with. And it took me really getting to know what was making these kids so anxious for me to start teaching self-advocacy for them. Mm -hmm. And you said that there's been an impact of uh, parents being helicopter parents. Is that part of what yes. you've seen? Tell me a little bit about that. Helicopter parents, I, their intentions are good. I totally believe that. They want to help their children. They want to protect them. We want to bubble wrap our kids and keep them safe. But in our effort to do that, we're taking something so vital away from them, their self-independence and their confidence. And a lot of times, and I found this from working with the kids and the research and interviewing these students, they don't feel confident when we're constantly rushing to fix things for them. Hmm. They feel personally like we feel that they can't do it. And that's how a kid perceives their helicopter parent. Yeah, yeah. You know, when do you think this started? Because, you know, when when I was growing up and you were growing up, this wasn't really a thing. I can remember going out and, you know, the 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 mandate was get home before the light comes on <laughs> the street light comes on right yep. and my my yep. my big sister and I, I did have a sister that was quite older than me but you know we were told to just you know go roam the streets go go and get some fresh air and whatnot and that's not a thing anymore so like when did this even start that we start hovering over our kids and not letting them do stuff i think if you look historically back at mass media the more access we had to media, the worse it got. Because all these things were happening in the past, the crimes and the devastation, it was all happening, but we weren't constantly bombarded with the same thing. And I use the example of um, the, the announcement that comes on when a child is missing. Hmm. And the Amber now they have it, the Amber Alert. Uh -huh. They have it on the highway. They have it on your phone, your phone buzzes. So now your phone buzzes 10 times and it's still the same one situation that happened in Wyoming, not even close to you, but because you're constantly bombarded with that some a child was taken, now your fear elevates. Mm -hmm. And as parents, we fear for the safety of our children. So when you're constantly bombarded with these things that we perceive are happening right in our own backyard or happening multiple times, we get scared and I think people hover more when they're feared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you don't think things are happening more frequently now? You think that it's just we have more information and more knowledge yes. of it? Yeah. Yes. Very true. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so what's a best time? When's, when, how soon should we start teaching self-advocacy to and independence to our kids? And what's appropriate for what age? Because I'm not, you know, going to send my seven-year-old out to, you know, go ride the city bus or whatever. <laughs> Some yeah, people right. might do that, but <laughs> it's not something I'm going to do. So what, what's appropriate and when do we start teaching self-advocacy? And independence. I think that you can start teaching self-advocacy advocacy and independence at such a young age. I mean, I think back to even when you have a child who's just starting to speak and you take them to a restaurant, you can ask them to tell the waiter or waitress what it is that they want. Even if the waiter or waitress doesn't understand because they still have the childlike language, they at least attempted it. That just gave them a, a, bo a boost of confidence. Um, you know, as far as becoming more independent. Okay, well, you know what? Let's learn that these toys have to be put away before the next toys can come out and then reward that good behavior and say, oh, that's excellent. You were able to put your toys away. I really appreciate that you helped me with those toys. Those little things, I know it sounds very juvenile, but can start from a really young age to let our children know that we're confident in their ability to do what's appropriate for their age. So I believe that as young as two years old, cleaning up your toys, you're helping them. You're not telling them, okay, go clean your toys all by yourself, but you're showing them, okay, this is where your toys go. When you finish with this one, this is where you put it away. When they start to speak, they can absolutely advocate for themselves and in a restaurant, like I said, or you can put them on the phone with grandma, grandpa, and have them actually have a conversation with them and let them know they can. And then as they get older, of course, the skills will become more difficult. Mm -hmm. Riding a bicycle, you know, when a child is five or six or seven, whenever it is that they start learning how to ride a bicycle. Let them ride. Let go of the bike. Let them fall. If they fall, teach them to get back up and do it again. And then as they get older, they're going to learn, okay, I can do this. Now maybe they're in second grade. Mommy, can I ride to my friend's house down the block? Baby steps. I'm not saying ride 20 miles. I'm not saying to ride across a big highway, but okay, you know what? Your friend lives down the block. I can actually see their house from here. So I'm gonna let you ride your bicycle and maybe I'm gonna peek out through the window and watch you, but I'm gonna let you think that I'm confident enough that you can make it to your friend's house on your bicycle. Yeah, and I like that you said, you know, as soon as they can talk, one of the things that, we taught our kids really from learning from other parents um, early on was to be able to um, speak up about not being touched inappropriately. So that's yes. something that's very important that they're able to say, no, don't touch me there. Don't, you know, that makes me uncomfortable and be able to speak to a safe adult um, and tell them that something's going on. So self-advocacy is, is important as early as they're able to talk. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and I've said this so many times on the show before, um, our kids are entrepreneurs, all three of them. So they have their little businesses, which means they have their own money. And one of the problems with that was that they we would leave the house and they'd want to get something and then they didn't have their money. So we got them something called a green card, which is a debit card that's connected to their accounts, basically. And um, it's a real debit card with their name on it, expiration, all that stuff. And they can use it to spend their money. Well, 
when my daughter was six, we think we got them last year. My daughter was six and she had some money and she wanted to go buy some clothes or something. And I was like, okay, but you have to, you have to go up to the counter yourself and purchase this and I'll stand over here. You can still see me, but you're going to need to make the transaction, put in your pin yourself <laughs> the whole nine. Mm -hmm. And she was able to do it. And it was scary at first as I, you know, as you can imagine, but um, she got through it and, you know, I certainly wasn't doing anything that, that early like that, but, um, I think that, you know, it's, it's one good step in, you know, financial literacy and all that, all of that stuff. I totally agree with you. That's actually one of the challenges that I give to my seventh graders is to go to a grocery store and actually go inside and buy something by themselves. Mm -hmm. Mom or dad can drive them because it might be too far for them to get to, but, they have to go into the grocery store and pick up the items and then go to the register. Mm -hmm. And many of them are scared at first to do it, but they feel so accomplished. I have kids now. I don't know if you have Target in Texas, but I have kids. I would love Target. Yes. They ride their bicycle to Target and buy their own stuff. And they're so excited because like, oh, not only did I ride my bike by myself, but I went in the store. I found what I needed. I paid for it by myself. And they feel so accomplished. And it's such an easy task for them. Yeah. And you feel like such a grown up. You feel like you've really yes. done something. Well, since you brought it up, let's talk about this program. So you will, you know, just backtrack a little bit. You said that you were noticing that many of your kids in your class were having anxiety. Yeah, I think you said you had 39 that had a diagnosis yes. of anxiety. That's in one, one year, 39 diagnosed. Yes. Good Lord. And so you decided you needed a program that you would integrate into what you were already doing. And you found the Let Grow program. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, what you do. And um, yeah, just tell us about that. So the Let Grow project is a project which consists of a significant amount of what I call independence initiatives. And they're tasks that are age appropriate that children have to do for the first time in their life by themselves. So the ones that they would choose, and I give them each quarter, I encourage them to choose five per quarter. And when they do the independence initiative with parental permission, but not parental assistance, then they reflect on their experience. So a couple of the, my favorites, go grocery shopping, run an errand for your parents, call for takeout or order your own food when you go to a restaurant. I've had kids in seventh grade tell me they're not allowed to order their own foods or they're not allowed to call for takeout because their parents are afraid they're going to mess up the order. And that's when I started to realize as these kids that we were talking about initially had gone through the list and they're saying, well, but my parents won't let me do that. And I said, but it's something easy. Yeah, but I, they don't trust me. They said, but we're talking about ordering a pizza. It's not a big deal. You know, what's the worst that can happen? My kids always know. I say, what's the worst that can happen? And they say, oh, but the pizza might come out wrong. I said, okay, so what's the worst that can happen? Right. You have two burnt pizza. Okay, it's fine. And that's what I really started to see with these kids. And this one year that, that, you know, is what sparked me to do this. One of the challenges on the list is to cut your own meat. I had seventh graders that were not allowed to use a knife to cut their own meat. Seventh graders? Seventh graders. 
And I would ask, well, what would happen if you cut your own meat? And they said, my parents don't want me to get cut. Oh, so it wasn't some sort of issue with sharp objects, like we're concerned he's going to do something. It was just, I don't want my child to cut myself, cut himself or herself. Wow. Cut himself. Mm-hmm. Did the child yeah. get to cut and when his I or her that- own meat? At the end of that year, those children have now, you know, moved on. They're up in the high school. But at the end of that year, that child still had not cut his own meat. And honestly, there was more than one. Oh, good Lord. Wow. So, okay. So how long ago was that? Yeah. Three years ago. That was three years ago. Do you keep up with these kids at all? And do you know, you know, how are they doing now? And some of them, yes. I have a group of, I call them GROW graduates because they graduated from the program and then they actually come down and now are mentors for the new new kids in the group. So I do still keep in touch with that group of them. But as far as the en masse, I don't keep in touch with them because there's so many of them. Yeah, I would love to hear from them though, especially now post-COVID. I would love to hear what they were experiencing during the time at home. Yeah. I'd love to hear from the kids that weren't allowed to cut their own meat in seventh grade. And once they get to college and whatnot. Yeah. And see how they fare. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like that's not I've gonna... often wondered that. Yes. So where, how did you find the let grow program? I was just Googling and I happened to find, I was looking up programs for independence and the Let Grow Project had come up. And I started to do research and I said, oh, you know what, I really like this project. And one of my friends had heard about it in her district. And so I asked her if she had more information and she connected me with some people. And then I started using the program from there and just, I took it and I ran with it. I added my own independence initiatives to the program and I became, I'm actually on the advisory council for the project right now because of my involvement with it and you you also write for their blog or their website correct yeah yes i mm-hmm. yes that's actually how i found you i i uh, facebook or i i uh and i internet stalked you <laughs> and found you online so um yeah. i saw a video that you actually had some students in and one of the things that one of the students said she stopped asking herself what if, and she just did things. Um, There are so many that just flood to my mind when we talk about this program, because I've been touched in so many ways by these kids. I had one kid in seventh grade that he always cried when he took tests before he even saw if the test was difficult or not. And he would just cry. And I worked with him through this program and I kept asking him, why are you crying? And he said, I'm so afraid to fail. And I said, okay, but what if you do fail? What would happen? I just, I I wouldn't even get maybe into a good college. And I said, we're talking about seventh grade and it's one test. We have to put things in perspective, but you know, as you read in my article, a lot of times when parents catastrophize that, that one test makes the child panic. And the child always did very well, which was ironic that he would cry before each one. And I remember the last test of the school year. And afterwards he came over to me and he said, did you notice something? 
And I said, what, what was I supposed to notice? He said, I didn't cry. I, I, I'm getting chills because, and I still keep in touch with this child. Um, he didn't cry because he finally understood that he was going to do his personal best. He wasn't striving for something that somebody else told him he had to strive for. He was doing it for him and not trying to prove something to everybody else. And his confidence level went up so much. And that's just one of them. I have so many. I had a, a boy in seventh grade who could not ride his bicycle yet. And another boy in the class heard him say, you know, oh, you can't ride your bicycle? And the kid said, no, I, mean, I never learned. I, I, I fell off and my parents said I didn't have to get back on again. This other boy went after school and taught this kid how to ride a bicycle. Oh my gosh. It was a let grow experience on both ends. I, I, it just, it blows my mind. And now the kid is riding bicycles and he has more friends because he can ride bicycles with other kids and ride to his friends' houses and all. And so that was another huge one. Um, another one that comes to mind, I had this one girl that was so anxious. She was so afraid to speak to anybody, speak to people in school, speak to her parents. And she said that her anxiety levels just went down so much that now she talks to people. She's made new friends. She's involved in different groups in school. And she's so much more confident in herself because she took those chances. She came out of her comfort zone and she saw, wow, I can do this. And the minute students start to see they can, it gives them this adrenaline rush, this feeling of self-satisfaction. And it gives them this desire to want to keep trying and keep doing new things, maybe a little bit more challenging things. But once they realize that it's not to be feared to come out of their comfort zone, they keep trying things. And that gives them this, capability and capability builds confidence. And I've seen that firsthand. Yeah, that is so awesome. I would like to know as a parent, how do I know when to advocate for my child and when to let him or her advocate for himself? That's a really great question. I, what I always try to do, and I've done this with my own child who's 18 I have her advocate for herself first. And if the problem is not solved, we'll work together to figure out, should she continue to advocate or do I need to step in? So I would say for all parents to encourage their child to advocate for themselves first and then ask the child, well, how did it go? Did you ask Mrs. So-and-so, you know, the question that you had, or what was the response? Are you happy with the response? Well, you know, I, I liked what she said, but I really was confused about, okay, at that point, then it might be okay for the parent to intervene, but always let the child do it first, unless the child is in some kind of danger or there's a violent situation, a bullying situation, then I think the parent should definitely advocate. But as far as things like finding out a homework assignment that was missed or why they got a test grade that they got, or if they could do extra credit, I think that the child should always advocate for themselves first. I love that. That is such a great uh, point of guidance or tip or that is that is phenomenal, especially in so I've got a, a 12 year old. And so he's right there in that awkward um, junior high stage where um, 
He's not sure what to ask. And he feels like, well, she's going to get mad at me. But, you know, and then sometimes he he's completely bold and doing stuff that I wouldn't say. I, I wouldn't even um, have the courage to do. But um, I love that idea to let them do it first and then help them if they if they need it. That's so great. Um, so you wrote an article, 21 things teachers really want you to stop doing for your kids. And you had so many really great tips. And so I want to talk, first of all, about the ones that you think are most important. And then there are some that I also chose that I wanted to talk a little bit about. So which ones are most key that you think? I think as from what I've seen, the most important thing that I would ask parents to stop doing is stop underestimating what your child is actually capable of. When we underestimate their capabilities, it doesn't give them that feeling of confidence. And then they're not willing to try and come out of their comfort zone because they don't think they're capable. They don't think they're able. And I, I say this with a story that is in my mind. I had a student who wanted to try to do her own laundry. And that was one of the let grow challenges. And her mom said to her, no, you may not. You're not doing your own laundry. You're going to ruin it. And she said, but I really want to just try it. I want to see what it's like. I'll just do my own laundry. Mom refused to let her do her own laundry because she was so afraid that she was going to ruin the laundry. And when the child came to school, she said to me, how can I have faith in myself if my parents don't have faith in me? So my beg to parents is please don't underestimate. And when your child wants to assert their independence and try something that's reasonable, laundry is reasonable. If they said they wanted to take the train to another state, then it's not reasonable. But if it's reasonable and it's something like, what's the worst that can happen is your whole wash turns red. It's no big deal. We've all done it. Every single one of us has ruined a load of laundry or two. It happens. But this little girl was so devastated because she felt that her parents felt if she's not capable, well, then how can she be capable or confident in herself? Mm -hmm. So don't underestimate your child's capabilities. That's number one. Mm -hmm. They are capable of so much more. And when we give them that trust, they're just going to flourish and fly on their own. And it's beautiful. Yeah. What else? What are some other good ones? Um, the other things that as a, from a school standpoint, yes, don't do their homework for them. That's <laughs> why <huge>. not? <laughs> a lot of parents will, right? Why not? I mean, some of it's fun, but don't do their homework because they don't learn not only the material, but they don't learn time management. Mm. You know, they have to know that, okay, I have five homework assignments. I have to do this one, this one, this one. And, you know, they learn time management. Don't always run to the higher ups when you have a problem. Most problems can be effectively dealt with between the teacher and the parent. As long as the, the parent is willing to see the teacher's point of view, which is something that we don't see a lot now. You know, when I'm trying to teach these kids independence, I do get a lot of pushback from the parents because they're still worried about the number of the grade or, you know, making sure that they get everything that they want. And I try to explain to the parents, let them make mistakes, let them learn from what they're doing. Because if we keep rushing to fix their mistakes by calling the school and getting a grade change or calling the teacher and being mean and threatening the teacher so that they get the grade that they want, 
It doesn't ever teach them how to remedy the problem, how to solve a problem on their own, how to use a mistake as a learning opportunity to elevate them and boost them and say, oh, wow, this was awesome. I learned from this. They take that away. So please stop intervening and trying to make things go away. If they got a grade and it was because they deserve that grade, they mm. need to learn from that. Mm. And that's just a necessary part of life. And like I tell them all the time, if I get a ticket for speeding, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> and I can beg the police officer to not give me the ticket. I can even have my mom call the police department. <laughs> I'm still going to have to pay the ticket. But you know what? I learned don't speed anymore. <laughs> that is so good. Um one of the ones I loved is you said, please stop getting involved in youth squabbles. Why don't you want us to do that as parents? Why is that a bad idea? Oh, yes. When parents get involved in the youth squabbles, whether it be something that happened at school on the playground or between you know friends in the neighborhood, it doesn't allow the child to learn how to solve their own problems and fix a conflict. And a lot of times the kids will actually have resolved the conflict on their own and the parents are still having an issue with it. When the parent, when the kids are good, they're done. They've already resolved their conflict. They've completely forgotten what they were fighting about on the playground and the parents are still harping on it. That's catastrophizing because it's making a huge deal out of something that wasn't a huge deal, but it's also not allowing the kids the ability to solve the problems on their own and learn effective communication skills and learn that sometimes we don't agree with people and it's okay. I want parents to understand that when they get involved in the squabbles, most of the time, the kids already solve the problem and they're still harping on it. And mm -hmm. there really is no need to harp on it. When, when we get involved in these minor squabbles, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about bullying incidences or violence. When we get involved, we're showing our kids that we don't think that they can solve the problem on their own. And these kids can solve those problems on their own. And like most parents will realize if they just take a step back, the kids actually resolve the issue. And the parents are the ones that are still harping on the issue. And the kids totally forgot whatever caused the issue mm -hmm. to begin with. And by letting them deal with their own squabbles, they're learning that everybody has differences and that we can communicate and we can share our frustrations and our feelings with each other. Even if we don't agree, I didn't like what you did. You didn't like what I did, but it gives us that ability to communicate with each other. And in doing that helps us to learn how to build relationships and relationship skills are something that is seriously lacking these days because of all of the technological communication, this face-to-face figuring things out doesn't happen as much. So when a parent would get involved, it takes away that ability and that practice for them to learn how to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. Very true. Another one that you wrote was stop overly praising your kids out of habit. What do you mean by that? A lot of, a lot of parents will just say, good job. Good job. Excellent. Keep up the good work. And the kids don't know what they did that was so good. And kids need to know specifically because that's kind of like a, you know, okay, that was a great job asking your teacher for that information today. Now they know exactly what they did so that they can build upon it. But the empty praise 
that parents give a good job, good job, and the kids don't know what the praise was for, the empty praise actually creates a weaker self-esteem in the child because they keep saying to themselves, wait, they said I was good, but I don't know what I was good at. Mm -hmm. So empty praise doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That is so good. Um, I'd love to know, is it possible to um, help them become good self-advocates and then also be encouraging entitlement somehow? Like they deserve to get stuff just, you know, for, when, for being alive. When, <laughs> and we definitely have, you know, all of us have met people like that. One thing that when you are teaching your child to self-advocate is to also teach them to respect and that it's okay to advocate for yourself, but understand that just because you want something doesn't mean you deserve it. You can speak your mind, but you really need to listen to the reasoning behind it. Like, okay, you're speaking your mind. You wanted to get a better grade on this test, but let's learn why you didn't get the grade you wanted actually teach your child to listen in return. So it's not just self-advocating, it's listening to the response and figuring out the solution based on what you just heard back. I think that that is a perfect balance with advocating and not creating entitlement. It's okay to speak for what you want or what you need, but understand that we don't always get what we ask for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you may not get out of that ticket, like you were saying. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, but I can definitely say I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Please, officer. <laughs> I'll never do it again. <laughs> um, sometimes parents are hesitant to let go because, you know, kids, you know, we've often said because, you know, kids still, their, their brains are still developing until they're like 22, is it? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so they're 25 is when the prefrontal cortex stops, you know, like actually develops fully. And they say in boys, it can take even longer. <laughs> and um, that prefrontal cortex is the right or wrong part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So I definitely understand that. Right. So to your point, they are still figuring out how to develop their sense of right and wrong and understanding the way the world works. So how can parents be confident that their kids are going to make the right decisions? What can we do to help ourselves be more confident? We have to accept that no matter how well we've raised our children, that they might make a mistake. Uh -oh. And that's okay. We, we don't want that to happen but we have to accept that they might make a mistake. But one thing that I've found through my years of experience is if kids have a strong foundation at home, if kids have consequences and know that the consequences are going to be given and stuck to, they will think twice before making that bad choice. They might still do it. But they have to decide for themselves, is this consequence that I'm going to receive worth what it is that I'm going to try to do? I find that kids that don't have consequences or know that they can get out of consequences may not always make the best decisions. But I have faith that a strong foundation at home, open communication is, is key 
talking about the, the dangers that are out there, talking about the bad choices that kids can make that can harm themselves or get them in trouble. I think that's a conversation that has to be constant. And when a child is always hearing, well, this could happen and this could happen, this is why you have to make this choice, you can be more confident that your child will ultimately make the best choice. And I think also, you know, communicating expectations and your family's values and making Mm -hmm. sure that those things are clear. So when they are going out into the world, they can hopefully remember and recall what it is that they're supposed to be doing and kind of, you know, have mom's and dad's voice in the back of their mind saying, no, that's not something we're, we're, we do in our family. <laughs> I totally agree that that is so powerful and people don't realize that very powerful. Yeah. I mean, I know that I always had my dad's voice in the back of my mind and my friends would go out and do certain things that there was no way I was going to do because Skip Bennett would have killed me. (laughs) So you and your students are going to be featured in an upcoming documentary. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I actually got the news today. It's going to be released on November 19th. Very exciting. It's called Connect the Dots. And it was asked to be at the Los Angeles Film Festival, so it will be aired there as well. Um, I will share, of course, with you the link as soon as I get all the final invites for it. The Connect the Dots is a movie, a documentary based on why kids are anxious today and what they need to be less anxious And then it talks about how how anxiety can contribute to other risk behaviors like drugs and alcohol, cutting, self-harm, and so forth. And we tied the Let Grow project in with the anxiety because ultimately if we can eliminate or at least minimize the anxiety, then those risk behaviors may not happen as they're happening. And so myself and the students were interviewed on their experiences becoming more independent with the Let Grow project and how they felt from the beginning to the project to the end of the project. So I'm very excited and they're so excited to see themselves on the the silver screen, so to speak. Of course, that's amazing. So um, I mentioned earlier that you're an author, you uh, write for Let Grow. What is the website for that? How can people read more about what it is that you're doing and your advice for students and for parents? The, um, the Let Grow website is letgrow.org. And Let Grow is one word. And when you visit Let Grow, they give you so many different resources for parents. And if you are a teacher out there and you'd like to start this program yourself, they also have resources for teachers. They have contact information on there, and then you can contact Lenore Skenazy. She's the founder of the program, and she will put you in contact with, sometimes it's me because I am a representative for the program, Um, and then we get you started on the program. So you can go on the Let Grow website, letgrow.org, and find all of the parent resources, student resources, et cetera. 
you can feel free to drop me a contact. If you put my contact information in the, um, the podcast, my Facebook or my email is fine. And I can give you more information about the project itself. I do normally, well, pre-COVID, I used to do presentations in schools to help them become more familiar with the project and get started in their schools as well. Um, we do hope to start those trainings again sometime very soon, I'm hoping. And then we can come to your school if you're local and show you how to do the program. And if you are not local, this program is global. They found out about this program in other countries. The, um, the documentary was filmed by a Canadian filmmaking company. They found out about it. Johan Hari, who's the best-selling author and wrote books on anxiety. He's from England. He came over to interview myself and the kids about this project and about teen anxiety. So it's not just the project that's for the people of New York. It's global. It can go anywhere. It is limitless. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty for parents to implement themselves, correct? This doesn't have yes. to be a school thing. Yes, they don't. No, it does not have to be a school thing. And there are actually parent resources on Let Grow that give you, they break it down into early elementary, middle elementary, middle and then high school, so that a parent can look at it and say, oh, okay, these things are age appropriate for my third grader. I can let them start to try these things. So it really helps because it gives you guidance as to what may or may not be appropriate for your child for their age, because a lot of times, especially if you don't know other people that have kids your age, you don't know if you're making the right choice, letting them do something by themselves. Right. Right. Very good. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. This has been very, very helpful. I know that plenty of parents out there are like, okay, I want them to be um, successful adults. Um, but when do I start cutting the apron strings? When do I let go a little bit and let them do things on their own? So you gave us some really wonderful tips that we can implement right now and that I will actually go back and listen to the show again, I think, <laughs> and say, okay, what things do we need to do ourselves here in the Bailey household? So thank you so much. We appreciate all that you're doing with your students. Thank you so much. It has been my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you, Danita. I'm so glad you found me. <laughs> I am too. Take care. Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier care, sponsor of uh, School Days. And so we always want to let you know what's going on with Noggin. We're currently taking applications for two of our programs. Noggin offers 12 hours of free private tutoring to students through our educational coaching program. Also, through our ARD advocacy program, parents receive support in securing services and accommodations for their kids that they need for school for learning disabilities and special needs. With the closure of schools, the education gap for low-income students has widened, and the one-on-one -on -one intervention we provide is vital. See our website, nogginfoundation.org, or email me at danita, D-O-N-E-D-A, at nogginfoundation.org for more details. As always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com, for more information about all that we're doing with Noggin and for the resources mentioned on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N.
Next week, we have another kid takeover. We've invited students who are doing in-person learning to talk to us about their experience. The 2020-2021 school year is poised to be one for the books, and we can't wait to hear from these students' perspectives. Tune in at our regular showtime Tuesday at 5 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time and tell your friends. And lastly, we always want to end this show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please email us at info at schooldaysshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Dazed is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.